0: Let's rock. All right, this
1: is speaking educationally with uh, Doug, Tina, and Gerard, where I'm coming from.
2: 15 years into education now, you know, what can
0: I do to create this equitable space? Like, you know, what. Especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community, I wanted to be an influencer for them, like for young people. Connect with more people who. And goals. All right. This is speaking educationally
2: with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. All right, everyone. I think this is episode eight
1: on season two, and we are in break. Uh, it is actually recorded on a Tuesday, which we haven't recorded on a Tuesday before, but um, we are going to just do real quick what we've been up to while we've been hanging out. And then we have two topics tonight. We want to talk about deficit mindset. And then just recently, I think like what, two days ago, Dina disrupt. Text got attacked by a Wall Street Journal article. So we want to touch base on that, at least what our opinions are on that. Probably a lot of um, uh, feelings and not so many facts, but we'll see. You know, I, I don't bring the facts. Dina brings the facts. <laughs> <But anyway. laughs> and, Ger- and Gerard just has good insight on everything. Um, all right. So what do you guys been up to? How have you been unwinding?
0: Um, I'm, I'm glad to be back with, uh, my speaking educationally fam. I've just been, I've been playing more Xbox, um, yeah. <laughs> Pokemon go, uh, <laughs> uh, this other poking game my son has on his, uh, switch as well as, um, I've been digging into, um, Barack o, president Obama's, um, latest book, a promise land. I'm about maybe about 115 pages in and that's like, it's well over 400 page book. Yeah, what Xbox game have you been playing the most? Um, you got a probably probably 2K21. <laughs> yeah. I
1: haven't gotten that one yet. How about you, Dina?
2: Oh my goodness. So, um, you know, we made a day trip down to the beach yesterday, which was really nice and got to s- spend some time with the family and um caught one of the, you know, light displays that's uh down toward the beach a little bit more. Um, so got to do that, but it's been mostly just, um, hanging out around the house and, you know, we're cleaning, cleaning and purging and, you know, getting ready for the new year. Hopefully 2021 will be a much better year for everybody. Yeah,
1: I agree. And Jared, I'm with you. I've been playing Xbox, I've been watching my, my middle child who I, I struggle to connect with the most probably her out of all three of my children. And, um, I've been playing a little bit, but I'm not very good at the game. So she's been playing like Roblox and Fortnite on the Xbox. So I've been kind of just encouraging her and giving her like, she likes to build houses in Roblox. So I've been giving her tips on where to put windows, you know? you know, you're supposed to hang a picture at five foot, six inches. Did you know that? That's a universal hang your picture in your wall height. You guys aware of that?
2: No, no. See,
1: see I can, I, I worked for an inter- interior designer for two years in high school and I learned some things about what's the universal height for hanging a picture so you know what listen to speaking educationally we're gonna educate you on that
0: <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, think, so I think one, middle, <laughs> one thing one yeah. thing you said I, I think middle I think middle children help us become better parents because I know my middle my middle child my daughter um she does that for me and I know like one game I was been playing with her and she was kind of shocked that I jumped in it and like uh, she's twelve and like this game this app game among us-huh
2: uh mm-hmm. So, right. like,
0: my my son had downloaded that and they, like, she hosts it and be playing games. So, like, I jumped into one of them and we did that for one night for, like, almost three hours. So, I was like, <laughs> so she taught me some stuff. And I'm like, I don't right. know how y'all do this.
2: <laughs> well, I would, so I will, I will tell you that um, I am a middle child. <laughs> Wow. wow. So much.
1: Good. <laughs> I wouldn't have Gerard. I wouldn't have <laughs> Yeah. It's a, it's
2: a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, because you're, you're, you're not one and you're not the other, you know, you're just kind of like there in the middle, <laughs> like trying to figure things out. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a unique thing to be. And I think it gives you a lot of perspective.
1: Wow. So we have a middle child and a twin on this podcast.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That
1: is awesome. All right. I am the youngest, but my brother has Down syndrome. So we have a brother who has a brother with special needs. So what an interesting dynamic, family dynamic we bring here. All right. So deficit. Uh,
0: Equitable group.
2: Yes. We
1: We represent all of the siblings almost. Yes. Um All right. Deficit mindset. We, we, the deficit mindset has been an idea I think that has been around for a long time. Do either one of you two want to try and define it a little bit for anyone who's never heard of the term? I can certainly go ahead as well, but do you guys want to try a crack at that or?
0: like? My, I, I know Dina, Dina's going to have a more elaborate one, but mine's just, mine's just basic, like all educators, whether you're a teacher, a school leader, a para cafeteria like all anybody works in a school around kids when the focus is on the problems or the issues rather than the potential that the Mm -hmm. that the child and student brings that's my basic uh definition of it
2: yeah i i don't know that i have much more to add that was that was pretty good um it's and it really is just focusing in on you know what's quote unquote wrong with a situation or more specifically a child, um, and not taking a look at all at you know what what already exists that, that's working really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I Gerard defined it pretty well. It's uh, it,
0: uh, it's um it's a it's a it's a weird dynamic because I know just in the pre-show when we talked about was talking a little bit about plcs a lot of times when we're when we bring data to plcs that data when looked at it through a deficit mindset lens leads us down a a path of like creating a huge or a bigger gap in deficit because sometimes it leads us to looking at what the prior grade did or didn't do or what the parent did or didn't do rather than looking at, okay, this child is struggling with this, but they are strong at this. What can, what can we do to keep building them up in this area? And they'll translate over here. But a lot of times it goes down a whole different path and it ends up at the blame game.
1: Yeah. And I'm not, I'm, I am not i am i not even, I'll, I'll agree with you hundred percent on the blame game, but it also I think adds to what I have been guilty of this, of the, throw your hands up like what are we going to do you know they're already in let's just say fifth grade because i'm elementary and they can't do x y or z and they haven't learned up to this point like what are we going to do let's just throw our hands up because i can't imagine what could be done for this particular student and i'm guilty of that i'll own it um and that's that's a hard place to be yeah and you don't want to go there but i think at times it's it's driven in us and The only thing I'm going to add, and I think your definition was right on, Gerard, and I agree with Dina, but is I also think what it creates is the savior uh, mentality in teachers. And I'm not even going to say savior of kids or students of color, but maybe if you're in a rural, mostly white community, the savior of kids that are poor, or even in an upper class, there's always kids that struggle for whatever reason. You're going to be the savior of those kids because if you go at education with a deficit mindset – you're looking to help save someone. Like, I think that's inherently in what you're trying to do as an educator. And I don't know that that's the right mentality to go into education. Maybe if you're a nurse, that might be the right mentality. But as a teacher, I think you really like what you said, Gerard. you're trying to figure out what their best qualities are mm-hmm. and enhance those in order to build confidence so that the things that they're not as good at can build on the things that they are good at. You know, if you can conquer this, then you can hopefully conquer that, which you weren't very mm-hmm. good at. And I think that's, to me, the spiral or the hole that a lot of educators, educators get themselves in is they start thinking you yeah, know, how am I going to fix all these kids' problems and then on top of that, look at me because I'm working so hard to fix their problems. And really, that shouldn't be the mindset. The mindset should be more of you know, with you know, threat of just repeating myself exactly what you said about just finding their best qualities and improving on them. So I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna use a sports analogy. I think Dina even knew this one. If if the Chicago Bulls had continually looked at Dennis Rodman through a deficit mindset, they capitalized on his potential and his strengths. Yeah. That's a good point.
2: It's um it, well and what's interesting with with being an English teacher and, and teaching kids how to read text more effectively and teaching kids how to become better writers. Um, you know, first off it, I, I, a couple of years ago, I took the stance that they're never going to be perfect writers. And I don't know that there is such a thing, you know, you have mm. people, people embrace texts that are written by whomever, you know, like you'll, you'll have a kid that talks about how much they love John Green as a writer. Um, and, you know, they just, they like his style. They like the way that he describes what happens with certain things. He, they like the way that he builds his characters. Um, but a lot of it is that they emotionally connect with Green's writing, you know? So it's like, he's not a perfect writer, but. What,
1: did you, what has he written? I'm sorry. i Um,
2: completely... The Fault of Stars and, um, An Abundance of Catherines and, um, uh, Paper Towns. So it's all, it's all young adult literature. Um, and so he also has a, um, a YouTube channel with his brother, Hank, um, where they go over all these different topics that, you know, maybe you don't know a whole lot about that topic. You can watch a video and learn a little bit. So it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and he's just, he's an interesting, an interesting, interesting person. Um, somebody who never did well through school. Um, ended up becoming this, you know, pretty, pretty decent writer. Um, so, the, you know, you, as a, as a reader, you do, you embrace whatever you feel you can kind of connect with. And so one of the things that we, we discuss, you know, within my specific class, and I can't talk to, I can speak to other, how other teachers will do it. But we look at, you know, what is it that you you know, you're doing as a writer that's you know working for you and what are you maybe challenged by and then can you make a goal in which to improve that but how are you supposed to look at becoming a better writer if you're only focused on your deficits mm. like you can't you can't get any better at that that would be i mean first off it is a complete joy kill like nobody wants to be a writer and you know it's like and it's you will hear kids talk about writing the same way that kids talk about math you know well i'm just bad at math. You know, and I, I can't do math. I'm not great with this. But even even I have gotten better at math over time as my thinking has matured. So I I hate to say the words like I'm not good at math. My husband's definitely better with math, and when it comes to assisting and doing whatever, you know, he's he's usually the go to. I could figure it out if I needed to. Um, but it's like I, I've had kids talk about, well, I just I'm a really bad writer. I suck at writing. I can't do this, and it's like. You know, because, well, they
1: handcuff themselves because they're like, I can't spell, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I don't write.
2: It's um, Well, and what tends <laughs> like to happen? I mean, what what tends to happen is it's like you know when you get into middle school and high school, the the kids are, are your your teachers are content based. So chances are you're teaching something that you feel at least remotely passionate enough about to teach other kids about. You know, mm. so it's like, but when with elementary you You may have an elementary school teacher that just writings not their thing. you know they so they they rely on certain things that will um, certain strategies, certain you know tasks that they assign out to to students where it it's meant to teach the subject but not necessarily improve the way in which they do that. or it's meant to get kids to pass a standardized test. Mm. so there there's a lot of deficit around that in the thinking of that, because maybe that's not somebody's passion. And so they just, they, and I, and I'm saying this out of no vein of judgment, cause I've been there and I've done this. Um, but one of the things that I, I've had to do over the last two years is think about how I'm assessing kids. And so when I moved from going from a four to five point rubric and moved to a single point rubric, what it does is it gives you like here's a standard that you're looking to meet. And so the language in which you're speaking of that should embrace what a student can do that, that they're exceeding in, that they do well with. Because I've never met a kid who just is horrible all the way around with a, a piece of writing. They've got yeah. some things they've done in there that are well, but the problem is that if nobody recognizes what they've done well, they don't know what they've done well. And they're not, they're not experts in the content, so they're not going to be able to tell you. Um oh, right. so
1: yeah it's building it's building on it's exactly opposite of what we're talking about. It's building on what they're good at and not putting them in some of some, some, some fixed mindset either. Right. But they don't think they become handcuffed in, in what they're doing and they can't and they can't move forward because they've already blocked themselves off.
2: And I've also had I've also had kids who and I, I probably have told this story before, but I a student who's who was always scoring like a pluses, you know, so 97, 98, 99, hundred percent on papers and gets to me. And when I was teaching, uh, ENG 121, which is the dual enrollment course. Um, and they, it, you know, said to me, I, o- I've always done well, but I don't know why. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. That's working and going that's, that's, I'm doing well with my writing. I have no idea what I've done. And it's like, so what has happened is that we have created a system that one values the points and not the growth that a student mm. makes. Um, and it's like, and it, how is a student supposed to get quote unquote gain the points if they don't have any idea what they are doing that's going well? Um, so that's one true. of the big shifts that I had to make was to take the deficit language out of the rubric completely. And so if I'm, if the deficit language isn't there, then what are we focused on? We're focused on what you what you are doing that's working well for the piece, and where you need to make some growth. And let's come up with a goal for that um, right. that's going to help him, help you improve. Um, so and goals and improvement. Of, yes, yeah. and, and it's that's a goal improvement
1: of, versus yeah, worrying yeah. about what's what the bottom is.
2: Yeah, because another piece of that too is that you give if if you're focused on the deficit mindset, it becomes about the grade. So when the kid gets the paper back. They look at it, see what the grade is, and it goes in the trash, or it gets shoved into a notebook, or that's you know, I mean, it's what are you, what are, what are you going to do with that? Because there, there's no, there's no true learning that's taken place of that. The kid has learned that that school's a game that they've got to play, and maybe they're bad at the game, so what's the point?
1: Yeah, we could talk that's about true. playing the game of school forever too, but that's all the time
2: <laughs>
0: you ain't. <kidding. laughs>
1: all right uh gerard you want to add anything more to deficit mindset at all or how we use it in schools i I like the angle you brought there dina because you started talking about it more on an individualized level i think when we talked about it before the show we were talking about more as like a holistic looking at children in general and just changing the way in which the words that we use. But I think there are two different parts to that. And, and I'm glad that you brought there
2: that up. There definitely are. And, and, yeah. looking oh, it's and I've any, had, any I, I've had, I've had kids that have said things to the effect of, you know, that when they ran into some, some disciplinary issues and the disciplinary issues are always based on, and I mean, and the both of you could speak to this because you have to handle, you know, disciplinary situations in your buildings. But, um, that, you know, ran into disciplinary issues. And it was because she was having a difficult time processing out what was happening in her life, you know? So it's like, so there were ways that she handled situations that were benefiting her in the moment, but not over time. And so it was like, you know, they, they got her out of something temporarily. Um, Maybe there was a class that she didn't want to be in. So she looked for a way to, to escape the class, or the task or the the people that she had to deal with. And one of the things that she said is the only thing my teachers ever wanted to talk about before was what was I, what was I doing wrong? And mm. why are you going to, why are you going to change the behavior if you're doing quote unquote, what's wrong really well? <laughs> you know, it's, so yeah,
1: the, yeah, it gets back to the attention for doing the wrong thing.
2: Yeah. And so it's one of the things that, that she had indicated that she appreciated just in terms of the shift with some of her teachers, when she moved to a different grade grade level was that, you know, it was, it was not about what she was doing wrong. It was about one, you know, what are you doing well? And then two, if something's not going well, what can we do to help you? Um, you know, and it's like, you know, and she, and she, she needed three or four months of just changing the thought behind that. And she was a much different kid, you know, by the time the, the time you know, the grade ended, she was a much different kid moving forward.
1: That's awesome. Gerard, anything you want to add to that?
0: Nah, I like the way Dina pulled that all together.
1: Yeah. I also, I yeah. would say, I would also just put this out there and I would say anyone listening that it, I think some people think that. Allowing or giving space, or, or I should say, pulling kids, or pulling yourself, maybe is a better way of putting it. Pulling yourself away as an educator from using or having a deficit mindset is not harder as you go through secondary. It's just maybe looks and sounds different than it is as a kindergartner. So I think a lot of people say, "Oh, it's easy in kindergarten. It's easy in kindergarten."
2: To
1: it's, not not it's not because they're constantly doing things they shouldn't be doing. Exactly. <laughs> they're constantly. They're probably doing more things than they shouldn't be doing than when you're 18 in school. But anyway, I just want to put that out there that I don't – that is – you you cannot – just because you are a secondary person, you can't cop out and say, you know what? I I, I can't worry about it because it's not where I live in my space because it is where you live in, in your space because even 18-year-olds are still kids, Right. Um, you might be sitting in your senior level class Or even college Alright y'all we have one more thing we want to talk about Today and this is more relevant to what's Been going on and I think it centers around The hashtag disrupt text And Dina um, you brought this to our attention if I do Recall from a, a, Washington, Street, a Washington Street Wall Street Journal right? <laughs> yeah. Wall Street Journal News article do you want to give us a little bit of context For probably many people That may have no idea what we're going to talk about
2: Right. So I've been I've been following Disrupt Text for about two years and have not been as active with Disrupt Text. But, you know, what I what I know of what Disrupt Text provides to educators like myself is um, the understanding that, you know, the literary canon, which is um, for English teachers, it's basically to to boil it all down. It is um, it, a body of text written by dead white people. Um, now, there is more contemporary you know, elements of the canon. Catcher and the Rye is considered canon. Um Sikil and Mockingbird is considered canon. Um, but it's it's basically those those bodies of text. Um a little bit of research for me found out that um that originated with um the with the Bible, you know, so there was a lot of understanding yeah, of what, what what you kind of leave in um, you know, based on whether it's it's kind of, you know, for lack of a better way to explain it, Bible worthy. Um, Mm -hmm. So it kind of that's where it all started. So with English teachers, we tend to, um, we tend to be very focused around the literary canon when it comes to teaching text. Um, And there's a lot of reasons why that is some of it is because there are works that that English teachers just absolutely love, you know, and for example, you know, a lot of us have our, if we are not if we don't love all of Shakespeare, we have a favorite Shakespearean play. Um, so that might be part of the canon um, that we choose to teach. To Kill a Mockingbird an- another big one. The Odyssey is a huge one. Um, so there's always. Can, can I
1: interrupt you yeah. real quick? I, I brought up Wikipedia earlier because I always like to start with Wikipedia and see what, because that's if you search literary canon, where do you like. As a white person, oh, Wikipedia tells me all the things that I need to know. So the, the 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 people that they mentioned are Mark Twain, T. S. Mm-hmm. Eliot. I don't yeah. know Charles Augustine Saint Wave. I don't know who that is. Michael Durda, I've heard of him. The Bible. Um, it's the great books of the Western world, modern library, and what is in every man's library, or what they also call Penguin Classics, which I'm not 100 yeah. sure. Those <laughs> are. <laughs> But um, as I go through what Wikipedia for, you know, I think Wikipedia is the white people's Bible at times when it comes to information, although a lot of the things in there are very colonized, you would look mm-hmm. and say, oh, this makes sense. These are all white authors from back in the day. And, you know, I'm sure the literary canon now includes things like the great Gatsby and To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, and all those other things mm-hmm. that we have to read when we were in school. But so it's why incredible. did, why, why did she call, why did the author call him out? Do you know?
2: So, um, it's, so because disrupt text looks at the, looks at the Canon and it looks at what can we include? Because the first question that we need to be asking ourselves is who is not represented in the literature that we teach in our classrooms. And that could be, so that, that could be for me as an English teacher, that could be, let me look at the text that I'm teaching from and, you know, are there voices that are not represented? And one of the questions that comes about with To Kill a Mockingbird is, um, you know, it's written from the perspective of a young, white, privileged little girl. Um, it's not written from the perspective of the black characters that are in there, although they factor into being hugely important. Um, so that, that is the question that gets asked. And so, you know, it, it's for, especially for a lot of schools, you have, there are teachers, English teachers that are required to teach certain texts. So mm-hmm. maybe you're required to teach Mockingbird. But instead of just teaching Mockingbird unto itself, um, think about coupling Mockingbird with another text. You know, so maybe you want to couple Mockingbird with Just Mercy. You know, maybe you want to do something mm. that's that would where there would be another perspective or a voice, and you could couple those. Um, so what what ends up happening is and that you also yeah,
1: probably sorry, you could also probably satisfy a million standards by doing that.
2: Absolutely, like there's all kinds of things that you can do, or you could teach not all of *Mockingbird*, but part of *Mockingbird*. You know, maybe you want mm. to take a couple of pages from you know where it really gets into dives into Scout's perspective on something, and you don't want to do that. So. What they've done is they have suggested ways that you could disrupt decolonized texts. Um, And so that's a lot of what it is. There's been no suggestion on banning anything. There was never, the words banning of anything never came out of anyone's mouths or was typed up and and written for anything. So what ended up happening with this Wall Street Journal article is that there was, um, so there are school districts that are looking to pull, certain texts out of their curriculum in order to make them more inclusive. And, you know, I I hate to use the word diverse because diverse, I like Cornelius Miner's indication that diversity is lazy because what happens is it becomes very passive. Mm -hmm. Um, So what they did was they, they said, you know, let's make this more inclusive and let's take out the odyssey, you know, in, in, in favor of doing something else. So what happened is that the writer, rather than doing the research around what Disrupt Text does um, and their work and what they had been working with and doing the last, the last several years, is they took a series of tweets and took you know a tweet here and a tweet here. And one, the writer quoted people without their acknowledgment. Um, you know, didn't, didn't contact them directly, didn't ask them to be involved in it. So quoted them without their not, just put them right in this. And you have, you have people who are, who have been very much in anti-racist work for several years that their quotes are taken off a tweet and yeah. embedded in, in the context under which the writer wanted to use it, which was not it, it so inaccurately represents what disrupt text is. So what's well, happened, it's
1: just lazy. It's just
2: laziness. It is. It's lazy, it's lazy and it was written to be prov- it was written to be provoking in a bad way. You know, so mm-hmm. what ended up happening is that these these very and I'm just going to use the word "awesome" for another lack like, way to explain it. But these these women who have been doing this work with this rough text for several years who are just awesome. I mean, you know, first off, they're all well educated. You know, mm-hmm. not that not that that needs to be the the singular thing, but they're all well educated. They there was a lot of a lot of research and work and thought put into what they put together for other people. Um, yeah. So what ended up happening is that first off, people are flooding Twitter. And they are making comments about things that they know nothing about. You know, they, they didn't actually do any of the research around Disrupt Text before they put it together. And all of it was done in a very um, conservatively veined way, where they jumped on this bandwagon of saying that, well, Disrupt Text is about banning books, and that's not what Disrupt Text is about. So that's that's the first inaccuracy. And then the thing that's wound up happening is that they are now being attacked in a way that is incredibly verbally violent and so mm. you have first off you have you know there are women of color so we have people we have w- women there who identify as black um and then there are women there who are not black but people of color where they have been verbally attacked and so we have a you know and it's like i'm not going to read the entire thing but just to give people some perspective on what's happened is that um uh, L- L- Lorena German, who is one of the the women who are founders of Disrupt Text, got a tweet that says, "You are the real racist. You Marxist BLM subhuman n word trash." And I don't want to I don't want to traumatize anybody who's listening to our podcast by reading that further. Um, but that was just mm. a small snippet. And so what what's happening is that their lives are being threatened. Um, you know, they, they are being attacked as though they've done something wrong and all they have done is work, provide, to make, a, service. It, provide a service and work to make what mm. we do better and more inclusive. Yeah. And, and so, people are also
1: saying they're making millions of dollars off of it. And I yeah. think to be the case.
2: <laughs> and, and they're, not, they're not really making any money off of this. What right. they're doing is they're doing, they're doing work. Um, and it's like in the, it, you know, and I had a couple of thoughts and one of my thoughts was if it was, if it was a white man doing this work, would this white man be attacked in this way? Like that nope. was, you know, one of my, one of my thoughts. Um, but it's like, reading, reading through. Um, I can
1: send us some nice, attractive white males to put us a profile picture. In <laughs> <laughs> Go um, oh goodness! Um. Sorry, 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 we need We need yeah. it's,
2: um, it, it's just it's it was um to the point where I had to like I had to force myself to put down my put down my phone and walk away because it was making me sick. Like literally, I was reading. Sick.
1: yeah. I don't know if you want to add anything, Jared, but I was reading through it. Like I told you guys today and I was like, wow, I mean, this is, I mean, what in the world is the problem? Number one, number two, how can you be so ignorant? And I'm going to call on progressive media on this too, because they do it a lot. And I'm, I'm going to bring up the name Trump. He's not my president, but they do a lot with him. And it's kind of, and I, I, I created this parallel in my head. I was listening to, I don't know if it was MSNBC or CNN the other night. And they just started throwing up like two or three Trump tweets. And then just responding and having a whole thing about these tweets. Now, we really haven't heard from the man in like three weeks, right? And I'm talking about Donald Trump other than some videos he puts out. We really haven't heard from him. We all know where he's coming from. We all know what his agenda is. We all know what's about him and he's a racist and all that sort of stuff. So there's a lot of history there. So we kind of understand where he's coming from, right? But CNN did that same – I don't want to call it that. It may have been MSNBC. Whoever it is, did that same laziness. So they put up like three tweets – and then they had a half an hour conversation with some panelists about this. And I'm like, all you're doing, number one, is really super lazy because what super is lazy. really going on here? You're responding to tweets, number one, super lazy. Number two, I know he probably won't respond to you if you put questions out to him. So it might be different where the the, the, the people who run or who started Disrupt Text probably would have responded to the Wall Street Journal uh, author if they had reached out to her or reached out to them in advance and, and set up an interview and it could have probably been explained a little further. But the laziness when it comes to people putting things out, especially people that have an audience, has gotten to a level where I am sick of it all, but I also know that I can't not engage because if I don't engage then there may be one less person there to call it out. You know what I mean? So it's like a double-edged sword where I'm kind of stuck. Like super lazy but I wonder now if we talk to the author of that article with all the push- pushback that she's gotten possibly as well, could this could there could a conversation be engaged about why this is important and why your ideas around these literary canons which I knew nothing about until today why it's such a backwards idea and it just, it, it's just white supremacy veiled in a different form. You know what I mean?
2: On, and I, I don't know that I, I don't know the opinion would have been any different, though, Doug, because I mean, the Wall Street Journal two two and a half weeks ago published an article that was saying that Dr. Jill Biden shouldn't be called a doctor. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I don't I don't know that it would have been any different. And it's like they're they're almost looking for I'm trying I'm trying which, <laughs> yeah, and that's it. And it's like, and I and I appreciate that because you're trying to get you're trying to get some perspective around it, and that's always something that we should do. But it's yeah. like they just two and a half weeks ago published an article you know an op-ed piece for somebody who said that you know Dr. Jill Biden shouldn't be called doctor yeah. you know and it's Maybe. like god
0: god god no i'm um i just when you brought about literary canon i'm like yeah that's the technical term but Dana knows me and her had plenty of conversations about stuff like this about these texts so when I was when I was seeing that about you know the literary canon the books that you know that um, the ELA uh, department considered go in there. Um, even when I first was in an AP, and I was having some conversations with um, a couple of forward-thinking ELA teachers, this topic came up because I'm like, um, there are there are some books that have some diverse characters and plots and other things that. Can get to the same standard that's up to date that probably could hook your kids, especially your non-readers, more than things that are in that literary canon.
2: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But
1: I mean, I mean and we were talking about it before too. But I mean, even for the even for the white boys in the room, and they're in high school or middle school, or wherever. Like, I didn't connect with any of those sort of stories either. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't understand what are we holding on to it for? Like, there's like that's why I keep on anytime there's pushback when it comes to this sort of idea around being more equitable or inclusive or whatever, whatever it is, especially when it comes to race and probably gender and definitely um, sexual preference, I would say, too, and and probably some of the things I'm not thinking of right now. It always comes back to some sort of bigoted, racist, uh, sexist, xenophobic idea that I I, am still struggling to get to the core. I don't struggle. I know where the core of where that comes from. And it just comes from your experiences. A lot of it comes from your experiences and what you're taught growing up, which perpetuates itself when you, as the Wall Street Journal article lady, argues that you are trying to, what did you say, ban certain texts from education. It it just perpetuates itself over and the cycle continues. And and unless there are things like hashtag disrupt text, there is no other voice of what – there is no other – for lack of a better term, disruption. (laughs) Like it's absolutely necessary. And I think that we need to make sure that we continue to support those groups. And I probably am very, I'm not probably, I definitely am very late to this sort of movement. um, Because I never taught English, that's not an excuse, but you know, I, I kind of feel like an obligation now. I need to kind of get back more into it and at least provide some perspective, um, from wherever I'm coming from and support that movement. Cause it is that important because if it isn't, if it isn't changed with our kids, the more and more I'm realizing in our schools, if the way that we teach kids isn't changing and it doesn't matter what we do as adults, because every year we're only going to get the small little growth when it comes, like when something happens that makes everybody outraged. Like mm-hmm. if kids aren't taught differently from the very beginning, nothing nothing is going to change at all. And that's where, you know, when you brought this up, Dina, and then I started reading into it yesterday and today, I was like, I don't know how I have been sleeping on this for the past, however long they've been doing this. You know what I mean? Like, and I, and Mm -hmm. I do follow the ladies that, that run the district text movement. And I know, I don't know them at all, but I know some of the things they put out there. And I was like, how have I been sleeping on this the entire time? I was like, you know, not outraged, but I was kind of disappointed
0: in myself. <laughs> Go ahead. Look, and, and then, um, I know one, like I'm, I'm like you, Doug. I was late to the party, but then I'm like, wow, I'm like, where have I been? But like some of the things, I'm so glad of having Dina, um, as a part of our world because, like, some of the things that I read in those tweets, I'm like, oh, I remember Dina bringing that up. Like, I know I seen one educator right. had had posted some, yeah, had posted something about, um. Um, she loved the honesty of the family relationships and little fires everywhere. And I'm like, Hey, I've, I'm like my wife watched that show, got me onto it. And then Dina was talking about the book. And then she, wa-. so it was like seeing the things that I've heard her discuss and the things that, you know, cause my wife is not a reader, but she would, she connected with that story. So she would connect with that text. And I'm like, that would be the same thing for students.
2: Well, and, it's and there's something there's something to be said um, for, you know, and people have their, you know, all kinds of reasons why they they choose to do certain things. So it's like a, as an English teacher, when I am looking at, you know, and it, it, at the high school level, it it shifts to um, you are analyzing and arguing when you write as the pretty much the basis of what you do for, for your writing through grades nine through 12. Um, it, it shifts, the standard shifts right around sixth grade. Um, and it changes as it goes up through sixth and seventh and eighth. Um, and so when I am looking at getting kids to embrace analysis, you know, do I want to start off with Lord of the flies No, I don't, because Lord of the Flies is not an accessible text for all of my students. And so instead of starting off with Lord of the Flies, I'm going to start off with a text that maybe the kids can embrace a little bit better. So instead of starting off with something that is going to be challenging in that way, maybe I want to start off with a text that they can embrace. Maybe I want to start off with Kwame Alexander. Maybe I want to start off with Jason Reynolds. Maybe I want to start off with Angie Thomas. Um, Maybe I want to start off with Nick Stone you know, those would be writers where a student's going to be able to embrace the writing a little bit more. And, you know, in taking everything we've said into consideration and looking at the necessity for diverse perspective and point of view and being more inclusive, it's also about what can, what's going to facilitate that skill set, you know? And it's like, and if we can look at something at, at several texts that, you know, and do a text set, which by the way, text sets, are research-based strategies. So let me just throw that out there as well for people who want to question that. But it's like, maybe I want to do a text set where I have four texts that are dealing with the same thing topically, where we're looking at building a topic into something thematic.
0: Mm.
2: And it would be better to have a text set where you have better entry points for students built along the way where they can go, okay, well, yeah, you know what, we read about this issue within this text. So now I'm reading this, which is a text that lexiles out much higher, that is on grade level, where if you have a kid who's reading two or three grade levels below, the text set is going to enable you to allow for better entry for those grade level, more challenging texts. So people can argue whatever they want to about that. Um, you know, but it's, we need to look at what is going to be best for our students in our classroom. And when we, we, I feel like the whole argument has become a ginormous dog whistle, you know, it, oh, yeah. people that are saying, you know, well, well, this is about banning. It has nothing to do with banning, but what's happened is it's become this ginormous dog whistle for mm-hmm. people to focus in on making our classrooms less inclusive for students and making it more difficult for students to embrace being in school and learning. And if we have learned nothing from the pandemic, it needs to be, how do we make learning more accessible for kids?
0: That's it. But not not only that,
1: yeah, go ahead. I'm just going to add and say, you know, know, my anger around this whole thing comes from the idea that not, you know, even if you don't want to look at it from the perspective of they're afraid of making classrooms more inclusive for kids, How is this going to – if let's just say you're a white, bigoted, racist person who's putting out things that's horrible and you have children that are in school, why would you not want them to have exposure to diversity in something? Like whether it be text or not because your society itself is already inclusive of who you are. So not – I mean we're killing kind of two birds with one stone. I mean we're allowing the white kids in the classroom to get exposure to diversity in ways which they might not in their regular environments because – most white kids' regular environments don't include a lot of diversity, and we're allowing the kids that are diverse in the classroom to feel more included in that classroom where they're not represented as much as probably a lot of the white kids. And I'm not speaking for every single classroom in America. I'm just talking about for a lot of the ones not only in Delaware but around, you know, the, the East Coast, whatever. So it, it, it really is beneficial for both people, and I don't I, – that's where the dog whistle, like you said, that's where the Trumps of the world and this lady that wrote this article or you know, whoever was attacking Dr. Biden, like you said, Dina, you know, they get this idea and they don't think it through and they put it out there because they have a platform and everybody jumps on. It's like, hold on, people. Like, if you really stop and think about it, the diversity helps all of us. It really, truly does because we're not going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like Americans, we are not going anywhere. No one's leaving. Nope. We're all staying here because we like it here. Like, why can't we make it a little bit better for everybody? But, oh man. All right. I'm done. I got a hard stop here in about five or 10 minutes, but we can finish up. When I'm yeah. done. No, Randy. No,
0: no, I'm good. I got, I got a, I got a hard stop as well. Like we, uh, we got a, we've been doing the, uh, Covid testing every week, just you know, even though we ain't been going anywhere other than like grocery shopping, but you just never know with surfaces, so we just being safe. Yeah,
2: absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. It's um, and I and I am on at five o'clock with the Teach Better <laughs> team. <so>. Nice, <laughs> yeah, I at that. yeah. It's gonna be, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna be good. The um, the earlier live that they had going had um. Uh, Trey Gamage talking about uh, SEL, which was um, it was great to listen to and um, looked at it from the the you know we tend to look at SEL as being related to students, but our our teachers need SEL as well. You know we need to be supported. Oh, yeah. um, so there was a some discussion around that, which I thought was was very. Um, was very thoughtful in, in Virginia. And so I'm, um, I'm looking forward to the discussion we're going to have around five o'clock today with the, um, with some other podcasters that are on Teach Better Network. So it'll be good. Right.
1: Good luck with that. Make sure you bring up the point that we always talk better when we're fired up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> you got to bring that up. I'm going to be listening. All right. It's live, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. All
1: right, cool. All right, I'm going to find it. All right, y'all. It was great talking to you on this Tuesday. Anything yeah. left before we sign off?
2: No, oh, everybody needs to have a, a fantastic 2021. Let's make this a better year.
0: Yeah, let's okay. make it a better year.
1: I'm not going to count on it, but I'm so. <laughs> 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 All right, this is Speaking Educationally with uh, Doug and, Dina, and Gerard, where I'm coming from. 50
2: years education now you know what can
0: i do to create this equitable space I'm like you know what and especially for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community i wanted to be an influencer for them like for y'all people connect with more people
1: whose mindset and goals all uh, right this is speaking educationally with uh doug dina and gerard